When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Welcome in, welcome in. It's the Hoop Ball Lakers podcast, as usual, with your main man, Ethan Noroff, and his right-hand man, he is J.C. DeLeon. J.C., by the skin of their ass, the Lakers come out victorious over the Boston Celtics in a classic rivalry game. We'll get into your thoughts about it, but did you just let out like a big exhale after that was over, kind of like I did, and I was just like, oh my God, finally. I did. Kind of my, my one reaction, I texted to you, you didn't see it until because you were catching up on the game, but like my only simple reaction once the game was over, I was just like, what a what a dumb, weird win. Like, I'm happy that they won, obviously, but it was just weird how it ended, and it's just kind of a weird game overall. Very anticlimactic ending for what was mostly a back-and-forth game throughout. Uh, obviously, one of the things, we'll get right into it, because one of the things that, you know, that has been the talk of the town is THT returns to the rotation in favor of what looks like both Markeith Morris and Wes Matthews sat down on the bench. Now, we've seen that from Wes Matthews before, right? There have been times where he's picked up the DMPCD earlier in the season, so not totally unheard of there. But Markeith Morris, it happened to him once earlier in the year, but it's happening a little bit more now. And so do we think that this is sort of, A, do we think THC's playing time continues, and B, do either of those two guys get back into the rotation? And if so, who do you think is more important to sort of get in a rhythm and get going? Well, there's there's actually been, uh, you know, some some evidence that Marquise Morris is a really important part of this team defensively, despite the fact that he's he's kind of undersized. And so, yeah, I think I think once he he finds the minutes again, I think uh, everything will kind of even out, and they'll see the the impact that he's got defensively on this team overall. I think for me, it's it's easier to sort of justify, for lack of a better word, despite the fact that Wes Matthews is making a little bit more money than Markeith Morris, I think it's easier to justify sending him if KCP and THT and Caruso and, and Schroeder, obviously, all that other guard depth is playing well. And I think with Keith, you know, the thing is for him, I think he'll find his way get, to get back. But... Montrez, except for that little uh, sort of dry patch he went through very early in the season, has been a lot better. And as Frank Vogel says, the Lakers are just so deep. He can only play so many guys. It's hard for him to, uh, for him to play 10, 11 guys on any given night. You know, nine, maybe 10 sounds about right. But keep the focus on THT here because it feels like his playing time is, is kind of here to stay. LeBron obviously loves playing with him. He's been vocal about that. But the thing that I love about watching THT play is that, especially for a team, and we'll get into this a little bit too, especially for a team, JC, that has this mentality where they think they could just flip the switch. I'm so frustrated by that. But for, for this team, 
THC is a guy who's always aggressive. He's always looking to make something happen. Of course he makes mistakes as a young player and as an aggressive young player, but I love what he brings to the table for this team. His wingspan is obviously well noted, but his ability to drive to the cup, to facilitate the offense, to hit the three-point shot, I think THC brings an element off the bench that the Lakers might not have otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the, the contributions he's been delivering to this team and to the second unit when he's when he's in there with LeBron and he's he's has no choice but to play off the ball. He does really well with that. When he's been in the offense at times where both LeBron and AD are getting a rest, and so you and Caruso and KCP are in there, and they're not necessarily running the offense. It's basically THT and Kuzma having control of the offense, and and he's done pretty well when when he's had those moments. I agree, and I think that's something that we're going to see more of as well, especially as you know Vogel continues to experiment with who he can put around LeBron and AD to sort of maximize the skill set. And Caruso is always one of those guys, it feels like. I mean, he is just one of the smartest basketball players. It feels like time and time again we're talking about that. And there was a great tweet. Forgive me because I don't have it queued up, and I should have, but that's how it goes sometimes. And there was a great tweet that just sort of illustrated Caruso's uh, presence and his impact because he was something like a plus 45 or plus 46 in Lakers losses this year, Some, something absurd like that, or maybe plus 24 or 25. Regardless, he was a plus in what has been a net minus for the Lakers, so I just thought that was fascinating, especially considering he basically disrupted what could have been a game-winning dunk for the Celtics. Yeah, I saw that same tweet, and, and, and yeah, I don't have it pulled up either, but it is it is kind of one of those things where... Like people talk about, should Caruso play more minutes? And I don't necessarily think that's the case. But um, you know, one of my last episodes, I did talk about how if you look at Caruso's per thirty six numbers, yeah, he jumps off the page. And yeah, maybe he could he could play more minutes. But I think he's in there when he can make the biggest impact. And so I think if he played more minutes, that might kind of minimize that. But but yeah, definitely find need to find look at the numbers and see which rotations do, in fact, work more than others. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope hasn't exactly been lighting it up from downtown over the last handful of games. I think that's one of the reasons why uh, the Lakers have sort of struggled a little bit. They get galvanized when he's hitting shots from outside, in particular, early and often. So I think that's been something the Lakers have to sort of figure out what's going on with KCP there. I think Kyle Kuzma continues to play well, JC. I, I really like this sort of uh, mentality that he's sort of seemingly adapted into. The numbers do bear out that he's more engaged, more productive as a starter, but he's continuing to rebound the basketball, move without the ball, and you know trying to do things except scoring only when he's coming off the bench, so I appreciate that about him. I, I want to circle back to Caruso because obviously not only of his impact defensively, but Dennis Schroeder has been struggling a little bit, and while he has his moments in games, especially when he's aggressive and he drives the baskets for what feels like always those and-one opportunities, he has really started to struggle shooting the ball, in particular from downtown, which was something he was doing well to begin the season and something he did well last season. So are you at all concerned about Schroeder's play? And does this allow us to, in any capacity, revisit the Schroeder versus Caruso playing time conversation? I mean, it does a little bit, especially, you know, consider that Caruso is shooting threes a lot better this year than he was last year. And at the moment, he's shooting a higher percentage than, than Schroeder is. And, yeah, I, I mean, from the season, the beginning of the season, I like the idea of Caruso starting and Schroeder coming off the bench to where you've got um, a really highly offensively geared second unit. And Schroeder has ended up being a better defensive player than we thought he would be. And so you'd have some, some defense there in that second unit. But, 
yeah, the starting unit can be a defensive-focused starting unit with KCP, Caruso, and Marcus Gasol, and then you've got your offense coming from LeBron and AD. I, I really like that idea as well. That is something that we, we discussed, I remember, before the season started. You know, I'd really like to see a little bit more of that Schroeder and Harrell combination. I feel like I'd like to see more of that with those two guys being prominent sort of assets on the floor in terms of the offensive decision-making and playmaking out there. So maybe it's something that happens regardless of Schroeder giving up his starter's role. I don't think that's a conversation, at least not yet. But playing time can certainly be a different one. I am curious to see how the THT sort of injection impacts the rotational minutes and, and whether that means fewer minutes for Caruso over the long term and or for Schroeder, or if that comes more from sort of the KCP Kuzma piece of the pie, do you feel like that's going to lean one way or the other? Because obviously THD is a multidimensional player. I envision him, you know, being on the being able to be on the floor with Caruso, with Schroeder, with LeBron, you know, pretty much with with whomever, so long as they're able to support him in a negative defensive matchup due to height. But you know, he does a pretty good job of sort of offsetting that because of his wingspan, right? I mean, if he were two or three inches taller, he would have been a first round pick, no problem. Yeah, I think I think there's definite ways for him to be, have a bigger impact on the second unit. One of the one of the things that I've seen less of that I saw a lot of in the, in the start of the season, um, you know, Montrez isn't really somebody that you're going to call a lot of plays for, but they did seem to run a lot of pick and rolls for him in the first few games of the season. I haven't seen very much of that lately, and it's because the point guards that he's playing aren't really aren't really pick and roll point guards the way Schroeder is. Um, that's something I think THC could work on developing. If he can become more of a pick-and-roll type guy, uh, it expands his ability to run the offense. It uh, expands Trez's ability to have an impact on the second unit and and Talon's as well. Uh, So, yeah, that's one thing I think uh, they could work on. I think that's an interesting idea. I could certainly subscribe to that. And I feel like, you know, what we saw against the Celtics was THC – I can't remember. My memory is just terrible now that I've aged to 32. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I can't remember if he was the first man off the bench versus the Celtics. Was he first off the bench? Um, yeah, I can't remember. Right, but regardless, he had that he had that uh, injection into the lineup in the first quarter. So I thought that was particularly interesting as well. He has been coming in ahead of Caruso, which I think is noteworthy. And I think Frank Vogel realizes that you know this team sort of needs somebody who can step up on a consistent basis to at least be a threat offensively, and especially on nights or during stretches where KCP isn't feeling his most or isn't being his most productive self on the court, then I feel like THC is especially important. And you know, speaking of the Lakers needing support around their stars, JC, I feel like for me, this is where you know Anthony Davis sort of came out and made a statement against the Celtics. It was nice to see. I feel like I haven't seen dominant quote-unquote AD for a while. Obviously, he missed the game against the Pistons, which we won't revisit because, yikes, and I know you you talked about it as well, but just what a grotesque contest. But this sort of adductor, quad issue, injury, it's been lingering for a while now. If you watch him shoot free throws, which is an area where he struggled, unlike the majority of his career, and in particular last year with the Lakers, and if you watch him shooting threes, it feels like he's not really putting a lot of his lower half into his shot, and I feel like that's part of the reason why he's struggling. Yeah, I can I can buy into that. He's seemed to have been making a little bit more of an effort lately to kind of play down low and score that way. But but yeah, I mean that that leg could be kind of bothering him. 
So, you know, I wonder if, if the Lakers think that if, if this is an injury or sort of a, a ma- we won't even call it an injury, but a, a maintenance situation that requires, let's say, two weeks off to heal, can the Lakers afford that luxury becomes a question that they should weigh and, and, and weigh carefully. But by the same token, if it's going to be, you know, sit for two weeks and it might be better, but, you know, he might aggravate it in the first game back or it won't be all the way better until the offseason type of thing, then, you know, I think you just have to continue to manage it the best you can and sort of ride it out because that's where we are in the season and what's obviously a faster season, but an irregular one to say the least. And, and with LeBron, you know, there was a lot of conversation after the Detroit game about him being quote-unquote tired because, you know, he had the huge first half and then, you know, baby second half. I don't really buy into that. I mean, come on, it's, it's LeBron James. And just because he doesn't score 25 or 30 a night doesn't mean he's not impacting the game on a dominant level. That said, I, I feel like I just – I'm never going to sit here and ding AD and LeBron, but I'd like to see a little bit more oomph from that duo than I'm seeing in the last handful of games. Yeah, yeah, I get that. It's It's kind of one of those things where – I think games are being postponed all over the league. The travel is is weird. Like, players aren't allowed to leave their hotel rooms. And so, you know, I've heard some players say they might as well be back in the bubble with as many rules and restrictions as, as they have on them. And so, yeah, I, I could see the doldrums of travel kind of getting to everyone a little bit. And Detroit was probably a little bit of playing down to the competition that happens. Um but, yeah, you definitely would like to see, especially since LeBron's kind of on an MVP track, you don't really want him to lose that pace or that focus. I mean, and, and, and if you're going to make sure that nobody loses pace or focus, you know it's going to be LeBron. And, look, he was coming off of, of a terrific stretch. It's not like LeBron has been awful by, by any measure this season. I'm just sitting here holding high standards because we've seen what the Lakers are capable of doing. But I really think it's the supporting players more than anything else. I mean, they, they haven't been able to – you know, sort of rely on that third guy consistently. They've had guys chip in across the board and or guys have big games that'll help, but nobody on a consistent basis by by himself. And two, JC, despite the Lakers' success defensively this season, again, I, I mean, I, I think some people feel like the rim protection thing is oversold. We've sat here for a while now. We've talked about it's not just the rim protection, but it's the ability to prevent po- points in the paint. And that's where I feel like the Lakers are really feel that's the missing piece on this team, right? Like that that's the clear and obvious thing that this team could really benefit from having. Yeah, I I do think that I mean there are times where Marcus Ole there was a moment in, in the Boston game where LeBron hit Marcus Ole with a really good pass and he was just kind of too slow to to get the ball up and yeah, I think having a young and nimble center is, is gonna is gonna improve this team defensively, and I think it's just gonna open up a few more opportunities for for this team in general. It, I think a young and nimble center is kind of sort of the medicine this team needs. I feel I feel like you know with Marcus Saul, obviously he's he's toward the end of his career. Not that he's retiring tomorrow or even after his contract with the Lakers, he may go on to continue whether it's with the Lakers or any other team. Marcus Hall is a very smart player. He's smart in terms of team offense and team defense. But individually, he's not exactly a matchup nightmare, especially at this point defensively because of his inability to move laterally, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, his vertical jump is about the same as mine. And, and I love Marcus Hall. Again, very heady player. I think he's a welcome addition to this team. But just the inability to offer that dynamic in the middle – 
I feel like is is costing the Lakers a little bit in some of these games where they may have come out with a win instead of a loss. Yeah, like thankfully there's only one Joel Embiid and only one Andre Drummond throughout the league, but you know, you also do have to worry about you know, there's a Jokic and there's a Gobert out there like if if AD is going to be otherwise occupied with the other team's power forward or if he's not going to be the center, then you've got an unathletic Gasol and a really short, undersized Montrez. And so, yeah, you think I think you just need one more piece that's kind of in between the both of those guys to, to max out this team's defensive capabilities. And that's, that's sort of where I'm looking toward, right, is the playoffs with you know, a number of those names that you just mentioned as p- potential matchups, not so much Drummond, but the others in particular, Jokic and Gobert. So I just feel like if you're the Lakers, that's something that I'm sure Rob Plinka is already considering. We know he operates, you know, two steps ahead to say the very least. I'm just not sure what is realistic for this team. So we'll see how that shakes out on the Lakers front. But in, but in terms of the current, I mean, there's, there's no silver bullet coming here. So it's going to have to be you know, sort of a, a team-based approach in order to better prevent that, and in particular in the paint. I'm, I'm not happy with how many close shots I'm seeing the opposition get off. Yeah, um, but since we are talking about potential Lakers, this is kind of one thing I was going to surprise you with, uh, this article I came across, just to kind of see your thoughts on it. Um, so as okay. NBA okay. yeah, as NBA stories tend to go, when there's smoke, there tends to be a little bit of fire, and so you're starting to hear... Very early before the trading deadline, these murmurs about a Bradley Beal. And so, you know, in that I came across this article where there are two semi-realistic packages in which a Bradley Beal is gettable. But, I mean, the cost is obviously really high. And so these are the two packages I kind of wanted your thoughts on. Uh, that, And this is a Clutch Points article, so it's not like, a, you know, they're more reliable than heavy. But, uh, you know, it is, it is what it is. Uh, so they proposed there's a package of KCP, Kuzma, THT, and two future firsts for Bradley Beal. KC, okay, KCP, Kuzma, THT, two future firsts. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not like I, I'd have to sit there and really, really, really analyze it. But that sounds like the right sort of ask, right? Like, like when I was on with, with Adam earlier when we were doing the waiver wire show today, and, it, and if you're listening to this podcast and you're not a premium hoop ball subscriber, I don't know what you're doing, but change that. Get on us with the waiver wire show, Fantasy Hoops, every Sunday. So we were sitting there taping. We were talking about Bradley Beal earlier, so it's funny you bring this up. And I said, you know, I feel like Michael Porter Jr. is more valuable to the Nuggets in a trade than he is on the court. And I know that's a bold take, right? So then I said, how about you, you start a package, if you're the Nuggets, with Michael Porter Jr., Gary Harris, Paul Millsap, two future first-round picks for Bradley Beal. Then you have Murray, Beal, and Jokic. Right? So it, it's not the same deal, but it's similar in terms of its structure. right? Three players, two first-round picks. And you get out of some money in the process to take on Beal's money. So I feel like that's, that's the right value on the deal. Obviously, if you have Beal, you don't need KCP as good as he's been. God bless, right? Mm-hmm. Kuzma, you know, is going to be a piece in, in any potential trade the Lakers make on that sort of impact level. Giving up THT would hurt, but if you're giving me Bradley Beal, you hope THT becomes offensively, what, 80% of Bradley Beal? Defensively, he probably has maybe a little bit of a higher ceiling due to his length, but 
Lakers aren't going to use their first-round picks in this Le- immediate LeBron AD window, not that they have many of them going forward. At some point, they're going to need the picks to do something, but it's just you're deferring out that cost so far. Bradley Beal's in his prime. AD's in his prime. I mean, who knows what the future holds for the Lakers. You know this pattern can continue. This is how the Lakers have, have traditionally built up, right, is, is, is through trade more recently, whether it's the Pau Gasol trade going back about a decade or more recently bringing in LeBron as a free agent and then the AD trade. So, mm-hmm. you know, the opportunities are always going to exist. So, yeah, I mean, look, if you're telling me I could get Bradley Beal with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, I mean, it's really hard to say no to that. Yeah, and, like, in this package, I look at what's left, left and obviously there's Schroeder, Montrez, Caruso, uh, and then if, if you're going to end up giving playing time to uh, Costas or uh, Kaycock, that's available too. Uh, plus, there's still Wesley Matthews and Markeith, obviously. Uh, so and, yeah, I mean, I think this Alfonso, is uh, you got Alfonso McKinney too. Don't forget. As oh you're yeah. Saying. yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think I think the biggest piece that would hurt, uh, you know, future long term is is obviously THT. But yeah, I mean, this seems like a fair price from the Lakers' end. I don't really know how fair the Wizards would take it, but if the Wizards are kind of in the place where I mean, I think this is probably one of the better packages you could get overall in terms of it's basically five pieces for one. Uh, and so, yeah, the the other piece, I think, is it's similar. Uh, it's KCP, Kuzma, and Dennis Schroeder, three firsts, and Quinn Cook. Oh, well, Quinn Cook's a deal breaker for me, <laughs> No, I mean... That's interesting that you, you basically sub out a first to keep THT but include Schroeder instead, right? Yeah. So would you rather keep Schroeder and, and extend him or do you want to keep THT, extend him, and keep a first? To me, I'll hey, – man. Or, or you give up an extra first, excuse me. I mean, for me, I, I feel like – whew, that's, that's a tough call. Uh, what would you do? Uh, I mean, I'm looking at it from the Wizards' perspective because I feel like they're the ones with the most leverage. Like, I, I don't see how they would want anything less than... Like, for the starting point for Wizards has to be KCP and THT. And then let's go from there. Like, yeah. Schroeder's great, but I think the Wizards would have to, no matter yeah. what, have both KCP and THT. Or uh, yeah. Kuzma and THT. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like you're right. I feel like there's no way they even consider that deal without THT at this point. And if the Lakers could keep could keep THT, I'd probably be willing to throw in a, uh, that third first-round pick with some level of protection, right? Even if it's a sham protection, like one one through three protected, otherwise it's unprotected, or some, some nightmare scenario like that, right? Yeah. But, uh, but other than that, I mean... If you could keep THT and add Bradley Beal, man, I mean, come on. You could, you, could have, you could have Caruso in the starting lineup or Caruso off the bench, and you could put THT in the starting lineup. I mean, that's – look, any sort of uh, trade that allows the Lakers to land Bradley Beal is going to upgrade the team. I mean, I don't care how they have to fill in the parts. You, you, that's, that's just a player that they don't have. I mean, that they, that they haven't had, you know, really at that position since Kobe I mean, mm-hmm. in terms of – effectiveness of the shooting guard spot so yeah and and i think the advantage of a move like this is it does also leave open roster spots so once the buyout market does hit then you don't have to worry about waving like a quinn cook to get somebody from the sure right i mean 
yeah, I mean, it, it allows you some of that uh, additional roster flexibility, not necessarily by design, but sort of as a result. So, you know, it, it's, it's fun to dream about. I still, you know, I hear Bradley Beal saying, I, I don't want to be traded. I hear the Wizards saying, I ain't trading him. But you know how we do it in the NBA. And, <laughs> and you know, I, I obviously anything is possible. You know, the Wizards have to consider everything and anything at this point. Like, if they think they're building something around Russ and Beal, I mean, good luck to them. But I feel like it's going to take some sort of godfather offer that, you know, everybody just jaw drops and goes, wow, really, all of that. Because it'll be more than the, it'll be like, you know, more than the Paul George trade or something just absolutely crazy like that, right? So, you know, I, I, I personally like to dream about, you know, as much as I would love Beal on the Lakers, right? Like, I, I feel like that's a player the Bucks should have been like all in on two years ago, right? Because that would just be, I think, phenomenal for them. But he would really be phenomenal on any team. Let's be real. He's a superstar. Yeah. And, and I mean, depending on how things do turn out, I do think this offseason there's players available. Like I keep tweeting about it kind of as a joke, but I also think it could happen. I think DeMar could be a Laker next year as a free agent. Like, I don't think that's an impossibility at all. Look, I don't, I don't think he's necessarily – you you know he's taking a pay cut, right? Nobody's signing him at like twenty five million a year. At least I don't I don't think. And but but you know who knows because we all saw the Mason Plumlee contract. Yeah. Um, that said, you know for me I think that's a scenario he's definitely got to have at least some level of interest in because you know it's his it's his hometown team and all of that. What type of pay cut he would be willing to take to to make it happen? That's totally up to him, but. I don't think you know. You know, he's his wallet ain't exactly stretched thin after the uh, enjoyable NBA career he's had. And you know, to think about DeRozan for a second, man, it's so funny you bring him up because not like just about a week ago, I was having this thought. I remember when I, I believe it was Brian Colangelo who initially extended DeRozan off of his rookie deal, and it was something like four years, forty million, four years, forty-two million, something around there. And it was like pretty criticized at that time. It was like, wow, really. $10 million a year for DeMar DeRozan. Like, do we even know what he is as an NBA player? Da, 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 da. So it's just, like, interesting to think about and just a good reminder that we're, we're all prisoners in the moment sometimes. And, you know, you try, try to really do your best to think about that they're paying – any team is paying for, you know, skills to be provided, not skills provided in the past tense. Yeah, for sure. So it's interesting, man. And as for the Lakers, you know, I think for me the thing that I want to see from them moving forward – is just just that level of effort, man, and that's something that we've talked about, and I'm sure we'll continue to talk about. Is just the consistency behind it, and I don't care who's on the schedule, who the opponent is. Of course, the Lakers aren't going to win every game, but just I, I want them, like like anyone should, to play a consistent level of basketball that puts their best effort every single night, because that's the mentality they have to be in. And you know, you go you go with a, a sideways stretch for a week or two in the Western Conference, all of a sudden you can find yourself in the middle of the pack and. It's a weird place to be this year. Yeah, like I, I look at their standings every time I, I solo record, and I'm just like, I don't see how Dallas can get out of this hole that they're in. Like, I expect them to be a playoff team, but that's a hard hole to dig out of. Right, and we're like 20 games into the year, right? So I know we're past we're past the quarterway point, but we're already making projections. Like, man, I don't see how it happens, you know? So it's just it's just crazy to me how sort of how – uh, fast the season unfolds, despite the fact that it's obviously going to be over several months. And look, we, we, we would be incomplete on this episode without mentioning that the Lakers have had the good fortune of basically being very healthy 
and very injury-free for the most part for the majority of the season. They've, they've dealt with a few injuries here and there. Alex Caruso missed some time with health and safety protocols, but outside of that, the Lakers have been clean, for lack of a better word. And You know, that's really hurt some teams. Obviously, Miami, Washington being prime examples of that, Memphis with a ga- bunch of games postponed, but Lakers have been clean in that department, and I think that's something that, you know, in theory at least has helped their ability to uh, to gel early on and, and why we've seen some of the good early season success that we had. Sort of to end on a positive note here. Oh, yeah, for sure. So until next time, this is the Hoopball Lakers podcast. JC, you can follow him on Twitter at JCDeLeon1. I'm at Ethan underscore Noroff, N-O-R-O-F. Follow our show at Hoopball Lakers for all our musings, in-game tweets, entertainment. You already know what it is. The whole Hoopball family at Hoopball Fantasy at Hoopball Tweets. And until next time, Lakerland, we out. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.